Let's love the Lord together right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 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 Thank you for your presence, God. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. I love you, Jesus. You may be seated for just a moment, if you don't mind. I um, I'm thankful to be here in the midst of what truly is some of the most wonderful people in the world. We know that um, this is uh, just a small representative here of a conglomerate kingdom scattered throughout the world that love Jesus in spirit and in truth and that God in his mercy would allow any of us to be a part of this is the greatest honor that he ever bestowed on any human being anytime, anywhere that he said, come along, be on my side. What an honor that is. Can you say amen? Amen. So we're thankful for that. I want to say we, we love this fellowship, this brotherhood, and we love this kingdom. Love Brother King. Thank you for those very, very kind remarks. And we are happy for everyone that is here tonight, this, this uh, rainy night in Tennessee. Praise God. We're so thankful for the Lord's goodness. A couple of things I do want to say good. We're happy to have Brother Carpenter, God, with you. God bless you. Thank you for coming. We're happy that you're here. Thank you very much. And I believe I saw, I see Sister Bobby Wendell out there. Sister Wendell, we love you. One of the greatest missionaries this world has ever known. And we're thankful that you are here with us tonight. Uh, By way of a few important things that need to be said, uh, we know that the Houston, Lake Charles, and all areas in between and roundabout have suffered from a horrid hurricane and um, there's going to be a letter being sent out to the brotherhood giving names and places that have that we are aware of that's been hit hard for your prayerful consideration and giving and um, for you to help there has already been from the auspices of members of the WPF and their church and churches, over $105,000 given to help with clothing, bedding, foodstuffs, water, everything that you can think of that they need, which is pretty much everything. And so if you would like, we'll, we'll be sending that out and you see something that Something plucks the heartstrings of your heart, and I'm sure there's, I've heard of folks already giving. We're taking up an offering this coming Sunday night uh, for those needs. You can um, send it, of course, to them directly if you want to send it through the Tulsa office. Every penny, needless to say, will absolutely get to those individuals. Whatever we do, let's do something. And let's also be in prayer for Florida. Uh, that that they're going to be okay with what seems to be coming their way. Then also, after service tonight, 
Again, we make mention of the missionary meet and greet that's going to be taking place out here. This, please, brethren, this is for all ministers and their families. Just go out there and have a good time and meet the missionaries, but meet each other. Greet each other. Just just chum it up. Praise God. You may find the best friend you ever had in life is out there just waiting for you. So let's get out there and have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time after service. I do want to say to the executive council and to the general council, everyone that came into this meeting as a, as a member, everyone that was, has been elected to be on the general council, we did not take the picture this afternoon because we had too many people missing, Brother Odom and Brother Godair. We were missing you. So tonight we're going to take a, a photo in room North 2. So the general council members, as you came, new general council members, all executive council members, immediately please as soon as altar call, whatever we have is over, go to room north too. We'll get that picture taken and we're going to go out and fellowship and eat. Everybody said, praise the Lord. Okay, let's stand. How many enjoyed the Conqueror's Quartet? That was excellent. That was excellent. Beautiful. And all of the music that was done tonight. God bless them all. Everybody did a great, beautiful job. We're proud of you. Amen. And um, there's a lot of um, bookstore out there, a lot of beautiful music. Conqueror's Quartet is, has some music out there, others that are here. And uh, if I don't mention this, I'll have a hard time living with myself. And uh, Tim and Tony Spell will have a hard time living, period. Praise God. Brother Spell, it's good to see you, Elder. We're glad you're here. I, I have mentioned to him for a few years he needs to write a book well he finally wrote the book and uh and uh i i I cede to your wishes his book is out there for sale and they're five bucks each not really i'm just teasing but these got their they're an excellent book and it's out there does that work brother spell Still love me? Praise God. Go see his book. He's a great, great, great man. We thank you for everything you do, Elder. You're a good man. Now, if you would, we're going to go to the word of the Lord. I'm going to read two portions of the word of the Lord. We're going to start. You're going to see a verse up there, verse 9 of Genesis 32. We're going to skip verse 9. We're going to go to verse Thank you, dear brother, for your help. God's going to bless you as you get this world together. It's not that I can't read this verse without that being there, but towards the end of this, it's very important that what is up there is up there. Let's go on to verse 10. Verse 10, and I'm not even going to read. Well, yes, I will. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. 
For with my staff I passed over Jordan and now am become two bands. He states this to God. He's about to face his brother Esau. And he looks back to a time when he crossed back towards Syria. And the only thing he had was a staff and his God. Now he's headed back home with two bands of family, goods, herds, flocks. But he still remembers those days. And he said, I'm not worthy of the least of the mercies and the truth which you have shown. And then in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, the writer is speaking to Hebrew Christians that have been around apparently for at least a few decades. And he writes, For when, for when, for the time, you ought to be teachers. You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Let's pray tonight. Let's ask, let's ask that God would indeed very, very deeply touch all of our hearts. Lord Jesus, we're mindful of you. We thank you for the mercies and the truth that you have shown us. And we're asking you to raise us up in our hearts and minds and souls and spirits to be teachers of this glorious gospel in these last days. And anoint us here tonight. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit would speak unto the church. In Jesus' name we pray. We commit this service into your mighty gracious hands in Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name everybody said amen God bless you you may be seated and I would be exceedingly remiss brother Johnny Godare it is so good to see you we love Johnny Godare the beautiful man of God In the text that we have brought to our attention, I want to draw for just a short, short time a couple of comparisons. Again, Jacob is on his way back. He is a very exceedingly blessed man on his way back. But there's nowhere in life that we do not face challenge. And on his way back home with great Blessings that God has bestowed upon him, not the least of which is a patriarchal family that would change the course of history. He has to face a brother Esau with 400 armed horsemen. And uh, so he's praying, he's talking to God. And in the midst of this, he speaks of the fact that he is not worthy of the least of the mercies and the truth that God has shown him. Now the word mercy or mercies is found 320 times in your King James Bible. The word truth is found 230 
five times. But where Jacob here speaks of mercy and truth together, this is not a rare occurrence. In fact, 45 times approximately, we find the terms mercy and truth together contained in the same verse. And basically, every single time, except for about two, it is always mercy first and truth second. I'm not worthy of the mercies and truth which you have shown me. My personal feelings about that is that while we are thankful for the truth that he has shown us. Is there anybody here thankful for the truth which he has shown us? Is there anybody here realize we are not worthy of the truth which he has shown us? We're not worthy of it. Now I'm going to tell you something else. We're not ashamed of it either. But we know we're not worthy of it. But for all of the truth that he has shown us, That's nothing compared to the mercy he has shown us. And for every precious hill of truth that he's allowed us to see and perhaps apprehend, conquer, and stand on, it took a mountain range of mercies to get us there. And so Jacob starts out, as do so many scripture writers, Speaking of mercy and then truth. Now one of the places where truth is mentioned first is in Micah 7.20. When it says, thou will perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which I have sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. Understand, Jacob came after Abraham. He was his grandson. And so when you stop and consider, he is going to perform, amen, the mercy to the house of Abraham that he showed first, but through the lineage, and he gave truth to Abraham and to Isaac, but what he gave to Jacob and to his sons, the promises, God was going to bring all that to pass. So he first showed mercy and then he began to reveal truth. And that's usually the way he works with us. That's usually the way he works with us. In Hosea 4 and 1, here is a case where truth is put ahead of mercy. And it's very important to take note here. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy. Now that's never good. You don't want to have a fuss with God. He has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. And that were Israelites. Because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. There's no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. So the controversy that he had with Israel is that they had no mercy, but the reason they had no mercy was because first they left truth. 
And so it takes mercy to introduce us to truth. But then we have to fall in love with that truth. Amen. And falling in love with that truth helps keep mercy around in our lives. And if you forsake truth, you're also going to forsake your own mercies. So it's a package deal that God gives us. And we're not worthy of any of it. But we sure thank God he's done it. Can you say amen? Amen. So again, for however much truth he's shown us, thank God for those oceans of mercy and the wonderful lakes and rivers of truth. And it's precious. Now, in Hebrews, here are people. Now, Jacob started out with nothing. He ended up with two bands, but still in time of need is very mindful of the mercy and truth which God has shown him. In Hebrews, the writer is speaking to folks that have had mercy and truth for a while. And he said, you've had it long enough that you ought to be teachers. It's one thing as a newborn babe to receive the engrafted word and then to hunger for more and more and more that you may grow thereby. But it's another thing to come to the place where you've grown and you ought to be a teacher of that mercy and truth which God has shown us. And so Jacob started small. He was blessed, but he still knew how bad he needed it and thanked God for it. Here were people that had received it. They came to a place, two bands, six bands, whatever. They're mightily blessed. And the writer says, by now you should be teachers. And as Taylor puts it, you've been Christians a long time now. You ought to be teaching others. But instead... You have dropped back to the place where you need someone to teach you all over again the very first principles in God's word. Now that's, 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 that's really something to consider. Now, we know that we're in the last days. The apostle Peter speaks of us being in the last days on the first day of the dispensation of grace. So I think it's very safe to say that we are in the last of the last days. We don't know how soon he's coming, but his coming is nearer than it's ever been. And however many times your heart beats tonight while I'm preaching, you always have one heartbeat less. And then another one less, and another one less. We're we're marching inexorably forward to our personal destination or the culmination where we all rise to meet him in the air, alive and remain. But he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. So we are so deep into the end time and into end time prophecy. Things are happening Brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm, eschatology is not my forte. I'm, I'm, I'm much more comfortable in Matthew and in Acts than I am in the book of Revelation. I am of that number that if you were to take the entire book of Revelation and boil it down in its absolute utter essence into two words, it would be, be ready. 
Be ready. Be ready. As far as I'm concerned, he could come before the service is over. And that has my vote. That has my vote. We have to be ready for anything. Amen. But we are seeing prophecies fulfilled all around us on a daily basis. Read recently, recently, of course, how in Geneva they're introducing in businesses the implantation of um, chips into people's bodies. Now they're doing it in companies in the state of Wisconsin and the turmoil of people, well, this is crazy. And I read one writer who said, within 50 years, it will no longer be an issue with anybody, including religious people. Because it'll be introduced over and over and over again until it becomes passe. And they won't care. Well, there is a people that does care. Amen. And the only reason I'm bringing this forward is to let you know by way of reminder, we are working our way deep into end time prophecy. And yet, the closer we get to his coming, far too many people where they ought to be rising up and being teachers of the beautiful mercy and truth which God has shown us. It's like in far too many instances we're having to start all over and say, you know, you need somebody to teach you again, which be those first principles. Amen. Because there's too many people that are drifting away. I, I know of a man, I know of him pretty well, who uh, began drifting here a few years ago. And um, when he still had a few cells left up here, he, he had drifted so far that when he was doing outreach, his church would go out and to get people to come to church they were giving away free movie tickets. Now he's come to the place he doesn't even baptize in Jesus' name. And he recently spoke to a friend of mine as he was going into this process and he said, you don't understand. He said, I feel the Holy Ghost as strong as I did when I first got it. He said, I'm not wrong. I feel the Holy Ghost as strong as when I first received it. To which my friend said, oh, I don't doubt that a bit. That doesn't surprise me. Because when you first received the Holy Ghost, he led you and guided you into all truth. He was leading you forth into his truth. But once he got you there, he found out you didn't have a love for the truth. And because you didn't have a love for the truth, now he's leading you off into your own deception. So it's the same God leading you, but now because you didn't receive a love for the truth, he's leading you off. Can I tell you, we can't afford to play around with this gospel. We need to love the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth with all of our heart. We're not 
worthy of it, but we're not ashamed of it. I recently, thank you, read a book by a political columnist and author. It was a good book. It's interesting. Called Things That Matter. I almost used that for the title of what I want to bring to us tonight. But it's far deeper than that. I want to talk to us tonight on this subject. Truth worth dying for. We're not worthy of it, but I'm going to tell you, he gave us a truth worth dying for. Worth dying for. A little over 45 years ago, I underwent a deeply thorough repentance. I did not have a church. I did not have a pastor. I had no one preaching to me other than God dealing with me. When I tell you that I repented, I repented thoroughly. I quit my drinking, my drugs, smoking, everything I could think of. I quit cussing, which was no small feat for those days. And uh, one night I was watching television, and many of you have heard this, maybe you've read it, but be bad as it may, I was watching television, which was easy to do in my house because we had one in every single room of the house. Three in the front room. I watched my mother watch three soap operas at one time. And uh, one, one day I came in and she was on the phone with one of my aunts and she said, She's dead! And I said, Mama, Mama, who, who's dead? And she put her hand over the phone. It was, it was Sylvia or somebody on As the World Turns. So it was uh, pretty much a repertoire there. And one night I was watching, I didn't have a pastor, didn't have a church, didn't have the Holy Ghost, didn't know anything about baptism. And I'm watching, and this guy named James West, there was a TV show called The Wild Wild West, he grabbed a guy by the head, and he, by the hair, and he beat his head on a hitching post and threw him in a watering trough. And I had done much worse than that to people. But, and there's much worse than that on television, even then. But my heart smoked me. And I said, James, that wasn't Christian. (laughs) And I got convicted and I quit watching television. I I didn't know. I I just knew it wasn't right for me. And uh, I would pray and there was nights God would try to fill me with the Holy Ghost. I had no idea what it was. I would would be praying and I... I would start shaking and trembling and, and, and my jaw was and I had no idea what it was and I'd get scared and I'd crawl up into bed. I had a little cross that glowed in the dark and I had an old Bible and I put it on my chest and I'd say, God, I don't, I don't know what you're doing but we have to do it some other time. I promise that happened. And I just, I didn't know. And uh, <clears throat> so that long story short, I ended up at a church that was being held in a garage. I was going to university and uh, through my parole officer, somebody in the city I lived in was paying my way, everything through college, 
All I had to do was go, and they'd pay for it all. I didn't know who it was. Later, I found out it was a one of the most esteemed doctors in that town, and I had dated his daughter for a long time. And uh, we were well broke up at that time, but he liked me, and so he was anonymously through my probation officer putting me through college. And uh, one day, I was waiting for a bus at a downtown campus, and guys were playing foosball, and this gentleman about this tall walked up to the far side, and he said, I want you to know Jesus Christ is soon to come. Well, they missed their foosball shots. And I thought, I'd like to say, I'd like to talk to him. He walked away. And I'd never had God speak to me. But if I'd have had a phone to each ear, I could not have heard it clearer. Literally. Go to the restroom. You'll meet him there. And I went into the restroom and I put my back to the wall. I folded my arms and in three seconds time he came walking in. So I told him I was a Christian. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? I didn't know. Have you, have you spoken other tongues? I, another language. Took Spanish in seventh grade. Uh, no, no, no. It was the Spirit gives utterance. I, I don't, I don't, I don't guess. Uh, under what then were you baptized? I ain't never been baptized. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. And and so they gave me a piece of paper and I grabbed and I took off to go catch my bus. That night I ended up on the east side in Pueblo into a little garage. And the man, one of the boys that was taking me there, he was about as tall as I was, he stopped me at the door. I could hear these people singing and making all this noise on the inside. And he said, Larry, we're you're going in here. You may think this is strange, but I'm here to tell you, this is where it's at. I've been everywhere. I've seen everything. And he had. I found out later his parents were very, very, very wealthy. He had traversed much of the world. But he said, in this little garage, this is where it's at. So I went in to where it was at. And uh, I didn't know who told the pastor all about me, but somebody had apparently. But I sat in the back and I was, I was ready for him because I had two back pockets full of poems I had written about the Lord. So I was ready, I thought. Went over to the house after service for fellowship. Had no idea what that was. And to make that story short, within an hour or so, there was 12 or 13 Bibles passed out. And they began to talk to me. As we worked our way through the book called The Acts of the Apostles. And baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And uh, I had been reading my Bible vociferously. I didn't understand what I was reading. I couldn't pronounce Genesis or Palms and much of it. But I uh, was reading it anyway. And I'd really been reading a lot in the book of Acts. Even called a friend about it. And so I knew just, just enough and uh, was fast enough on my feet, I guess, to wear most of them out. And after about two o'clock, they all left, except for one little guy named Wiley. And Wiley was sitting there and I was still, but what about, what are you, you going to do with it? And I had all of these excuses that people give. And all of a sudden, Wiley's face, literally, I promise you, 
began to glow. And I had never seen that. I've seen it many times since. It was, it was the anointing of the Holy Ghost. The Shekinah was on him. But I didn't know what it was. And I would say, but, but Wiley, what if? And that's as far as I'd get because now he'd give me the answer before I could ask the question. And I said, yeah, but you know that. And he'd cut me off and give me that answer. But what about, and he'd give me that answer. But, and he'd give me that answer. And in five or six moments of that, he had dissected me. And I was like the frog spread out. And I said, I've got to go pray. And here was my problem. I didn't want to believe that the only way to get to heaven was to be baptized in Jesus' name and receive the Holy Ghost. I didn't want to believe that because that's a pretty narrow path. And I said, I've I've got to go pray. And I went into back into that little garage church and not realizing where I had positioned myself, but it was... It was, it was towards the door and exit way and I got down on my knees and I was praying. Next, I was crouching and then I was curled up in a ball and I was screaming and I was crying and I was saying, but Jesus, there's gotta be another way. And I looked up And on the wall was about a foot and a half, two foot by three foot white placard. And probably with Elmer's glue and glitter, I read these words. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Acts 2.38 And I would bury my head and say, But God, there's got to be another way. And it was still there. And I'll take it a step further. It is still there. It is still there. It is still there. And added to that, I had in my brain, this is where I was at that time. And so, you know, I'm not charging anything. Anybody's just, it was part and parcel of the situation I was in. But God used it to help me, actually. But I also was under a self-impression that, because I had some really bad professors in school, uh... And one of them, when he found out I had a couple of religious bones in my body, hated me. And I actually thought we were going to get in physical altercations at points, but I had repented, so I couldn't. Which was good, because he'd have probably killed me, because he was a bad dude. And um, he's dead now, but you can read about him. Other professors hated him. He was, he was a character. Pretty well known, though, in American poetry. Be that as it may, uh, I thought I... 
I thought I'd have to quit college if I was going to do that. And uh, somebody was paying my way, and it's the first time my mother's face had lit up in a long time. And uh, and then this this issue of repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and the Holy Ghost. And so before Wiley took me home, I took my cross that glowed in the dark and I broke the chain. I threw it in the trash. And I no longer read my old holy, holy, holy Bible. Within a few days, I had backslid from my repentance. And I was back where I was, only worse. And I ran from those people, but I... Just before I gave up on, on everything, I went to the chaplain of the university. And, and I, I, I said, I need to speak to the chaplain. I won't name the denomination, but... So he sat me down and, and he had a Bible there. And I knew exactly how to get there because I'd been there so many times since that night. I opened it up to the book of Acts. I went to chapter 2. I turned it around to him. I pointed to verse 38. And I said, Sir... What does that mean? He looked at that. I'll never forget this moment. He, he shut the Bible. He pushed it aside. He said, Larry, I know who you've been talking to. He said, what you need to do is accept the Lord as your personal Savior. Well, forgive this terminology, but I had done that in spades. And... And but he's the guy that knows, and I said, "Well, whatever." He said, "You you pray with me," and 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 so I repeated what he said, and we got up. I didn't feel a thing. You know what do you do? You look at him, and he said, "Larry, I can tell by the look on your face you have Jesus in your heart." And about that time, an associate walked in. He says, meet Larry Booker. He just accepted the Lord Jesus into his heart. He said, Larry, I can tell by the look on your face. <laughs> and uh, this, this is, I promise this is exact. I walked outside. I'm left-handed. I took my right hand and I squeezed my hand as hard as I possibly could. And the only thing I felt was the pain of the squeeze. Because I felt nothing else. And so, in short order, I was back on the streets. And I was with my buddies. And I remember, boy, Larry, we heard you as a Jesus freak, but I didn't care. I laughed because I heard you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Which was like a knife in my heart. But I would think if you give that old dog a new heart, you can teach him anything. So that long story short, I backslid. So far out, I had already broken all promises I'd ever made to God on a hideous night. Except one. And it's even painful to talk about it. But I, had, I swore to God... When I was in the middle of my ninth grade year, a host of promises that he would get me out of a reoccurring, freaking out nightmare that I was having. And uh, the last promise I made was that I would never shoot up anything into my arms. 
And after all those years, we and some buddies went up to Denver. And my friend was shooting most everybody up. And I got him aside. He had just returned from Vietnam and I pulled up my sleeve. And I said, do it, Joe. And he smiled in his not wobbling head. And he said, I've waited a long time to do this, Larry. And he loaded it up. And after all these years and in my wretchedness and my running from God, he injected it into my vein. And not one thing happened. Nothing. So people are passed out. I shook him awake. I made him wait. I said, do it again. It didn't work. You're crazy. Get out of here. I said, no. Bottom line, it was like, it's me or you, buddy. So with tears going down his cheek, because I found out later, he killed one of his best friends in Vietnam by shooting him up twice. And he thought he was about to kill Larry Booker. And he shot me up again, crying, and then he passed out. And nothing happened to me. And I went home that night and I knelt by my bed. My world was crushed. I knew God owed me nothing. I was a walking dead man. And I sobbed and screamed and I said, Jesus, I'll do anything in the world if you'll just get me out of here. And out of this mess. And 650 miles away, an old friend of mine, he was crazy as I was, but he had been going to a Wesleyan college and he had got baptized across the tracks in Jesus' name and been filled with the Holy Ghost. And him and I one night when we were drunk, I'd thrown some winos out of the house because I didn't want to end up like them. And and I was scared and I said, that's us. You understand? That's us. So we talked for hours and we made a promise to each other. We'd both go to college and whoever made it rich would find the other one and support the drug habit the rest of their life. So his grandpa sent him off to the Wesleyan College. I tried to get into the army. I talked my buddies into joining up. Five of them joined up and then they kicked me out because my record was, police record was too bad. I couldn't join. You couldn't even get in the army in time of war. So... But he was praying for me in Bartlesville that night. And when I was screaming, God, I'll do anything. He was praying for me back in Oklahoma. And God spoke to him and said, arise, go get Larry. He's ready now. And he drove all night long and picked me up. And we're coming into Enid, Oklahoma, brother. Where you're fixing to start that church. And we were driving there and I was smoking a cigarette and my life was shot. And God didn't owe me nothing. And I'm smoking and my friends are sleeping. And I said, God, you can't save me. I'm too messed up. And he said, give me a chance. 
And I crushed out the cigarette in Enid. Drove on down into Bartlesville. Easter Sunday, April 2nd, 1972. Got in when the sun come up. We slept that afternoon. Went to church that night. My hair was down to here. My pants was a conglomeration of patches. I, I know my shirt wasn't buttoned. Please, God, I hope I had a t-shirt. I, I know I didn't have socks on. I don't think I had shoes. My pastor said, I think you had sandals. And there I was. When I walked in, there was 18 people. I became number 19. But they looked back and they saw me. And those that had kids scootered them up close. And that long story short is after going to an altar and sobbing. And I've had people tell me that were there that night. They've never heard a human scream scream and repent and cry like I did. But I had a big load. And they took me out to a cow pond and baptized me in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of my sins. And five nights later I received the Holy Ghost. The people I was running from in Colorado, I ran into their arms in Oklahoma. Talking about a truth worth dying for. We're not worthy of the mercy and the truth which you have shown us. And so I was taught. I came in, I was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. I sat on the front row with a big chief notebook tablet and a number two pencil. And I took notes of every scripture my pastor preached. I would go home. It'd take me a while to find them. But I'd find them. And that's how I began to learn. And I'd read my Bible. And I'd drive my poor pastor crazy with questions. Finally, one day when I called him, he said, Larry, Larry. I said, yes. He'd say, why don't you write them all down and keep them and call me one time a week? I said, well, sure, yeah. So that's what I finally did instead of several times a day. And I remember the night he was preaching. And he went to 1 Corinthians 50. I remember it. I remember when I was seated. I remember where he was standing in the congregation. I mean, in, in the front, off by the piano. And he said, moreover, brethren, it's 1 Corinthians 5. Excuse me, 15. Verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep, everybody say keep, in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. That's the gospel. That's the night I got the revelation of the death and the burial and the resurrection. And then it was in personal conversation. Where he brought to me John 3, 3 through 7. Jesus answered and said unto him, 
Verily, verily. That means truly. Truly. And Larry, it's not just anybody talking. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus that said, listen up boys. Listen up. Verily, verily. I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Thank you, Brother Roy Moss, for bringing this gospel message to me. And then the revelation of how that was played out on the day of Pentecost. When Simon Peter stood up and said in verse 36 of Acts chapter 2, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Sorry, I got to do this. God's a spirit. A spirit hath not flesh and bones. He cannot die. He has no blood to shed. He tempts no man, neither indeed can be tempted. So this invisible, bloodless, temptless God overshadowed a virgin named Mary and through the auspices of her womb he was in the world and the world was made by him. And this invisible God became visible. He was in the world and the world was made by him. John 10. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached on in the world, received up in the glory. And now this now visible God could taste death for every man. He could in all points be tempted. And he would shed the only innocent blood that ever beat in a human heart. That's the price he paid for us. And then he was crucified buried but rose again and so they were pricked in their hearts and they said men and brethren what shall we do and the same thing that was on that placard on that garage wall then Peter said unto them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children to all that are far off even as many as the Lord our God shall call we're not worthy of the mercy and we're not worthy of the truth That's how it played out. Then Acts 4.12, not on the slides, but neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And then as time went on, verses like 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 2 through 5. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. Not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God 
deceitfully. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Brothers and sisters, what we do, what we say, what we teach, what we preach, it's in the sight of God. Verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. This truth he's shown. If we hide it, we're hiding it from lost people. And if we reveal this truth, it gives them a hope. You're not doing anybody any favors by taking the tuck head over this gospel. We're, we're not worthy of it, but we're not ashamed of it. Hallelujah. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said. It's the power of God unto salvation. We're not worthy. We're not ashamed. If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now we can't allow blindness in any way, shape, or form to encode or to form spiritual cataracts. Whereby we don't see as clearly as we used to see. We can't do that. The apostle Paul in Galatians 1 verse 6 said, I marvel, Galatians, that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another but there would be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ listen closely but though we everybody say me Me. say we We. say you. you or any or an angel from heaven Preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. We're not here to make people happy. We're here to get them saved. We're here to get them saved. We're here to get them saved. We're here to please Jesus Christ. We're not here to be ugly. We're not here to be smart Alex. They shouldn't have to overcome our spirit. There should be presented in a way that says, man, I want what you got. So he said in verse 11, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus gave this to me. And then he went up by revelation 
to Jerusalem and compared notes with what they had, with what he got from Jesus, and they were on the same page. Repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, speaking in other tongues, and it's the evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost. And then we save ourselves from this untoward generation because we walk in the light as he is in the light. Amen. This is why in Ephesians 4, verses 3 through 5, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope. Everybody say one hope. One hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Matthew 24, 35, Mark 13, 31, Luke 21, 31. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So all of these things are coming into me. And I'm getting them. And I remember... My parents coming all the way from Oklahoma. I'm from Colorado. A long story short, I was in church a lot while, while they were there. But I spent time with them, but I was also in church a lot. We had church in those days, Tuesdays, Thursdays. Sunday morning, Sunday night. They got there on a Friday night. spent Saturday. I was in church. Monday, I had to go to work. Monday night, I was with them. Tuesday, I went to, church, went to work. Then I had to go to church. They were leaving... Thursday night or they were leaving Wednesday at church they said Larry we're leaving tomorrow come on can't you miss church one night this is just me I said mom dad listen to me you knew what I was before God found me on probation from the time I was 14 till I was 21. For kicks, we'd go out in the prairie and shoot tin cans off each other's heads and cigarettes out of each other's mouths with 22 pistols and rifles, most of the time drunk and stoned. And I said, doctors tried to help me, and lawyers tried to help me, counselors tried to help me, good police officers really, literally tried to help me, everybody tried to help me, teachers tried to help me, nobody could help me, nobody could help Larry Booker, the only thing that could ever help me was church that preached to me this truth and it saved me. And then a young man, instrumental in picking me up in Colorado in front of my parents, said, Larry, you don't love your mother and father. If you did, you'd stay home tonight. And he got very quiet in that room. And I said, I'm sorry that was said to you, mom and dad. And you have to forgive me. I love you. But I will be going to church. I'm so sorry. And that night, I wasn't on the front row with my big chief tablet. My number two pencil that night, I was towards the back. 
and I had my Bible on my lap, I felt so low, so small. And I don't know which verse it was. I'd give anything if I did, but I know it was the book of Psalms while my pastor was preaching. All of a sudden, it was like slow motion. It's like I was diving, diving, slowly, inexorably falling into the scriptures. And I felt myself falling, falling in love with this Bible. And I knew I would spend my life preaching the gospel. And that was the night he certified he had called me to preach. And the next morning out of nowhere a blizzard came. My parents couldn't go anywhere so bad I couldn't go to work. They were there Thursday. We had to, uh, church Thursday night because we never canceled church. <laughs> and and uh, Friday couldn't go to work. And I was driving with my dad. They were leaving Saturday. My dad was into Eastern religions as far as mentally. And uh, we're driving down the road between the ruts of snow and ice. He cleared his sword. He said, Larry. Yes, sir. If you're going to live for God, live for God with everything that's in you. You hear me? Yes, sir. That includes going to church. Don't miss church. I said, yes, sir. He said, because if you don't, you're not worth your salt. So since those years, I've learned when it comes to this, we have to love it, embrace it, live it, display it, teach it, preach it, because it's powerful, glorious, beautiful, wonderful. It's sublime, and we're not worthy of the truth and the mercy he's shown us. I'm going to be very careful in my next remarks. Very careful. Uh... A few years ago, I, as well as uh, many other wonderful people, had to make some hard decisions. And uh, it was very painful. It was very painful. And I received some phone calls. When you live in California, you can say back east because everything's back east. <laughs> and uh, one of them from a very distinguished gentleman, I love. And... Uh, he was pretty upset with me and said, you know, the, you came to God in our movement. 90% of what you know about God, we taught you. And we opened our pulpits to you in our conferences and our camp meetings. And now something doesn't seem to go to your satisfaction and you're walking out on us. And I don't think that's right. And I said, I understand. And I said, you are right. I said, I came to God in one of your churches. 90% of what I know about God, you taught me. You all taught me. That's part of the problem. It's what you taught me. And I said, if you think it's easy... I said, you know, the state of Kentucky used to be called Cane Tuck. Cane Tuck was holy ground. 
for the Indians. The Indians didn't even allow Indians to live in Kaintuck. Kaintuck was only hunting ground, holy hunting ground. You couldn't live there. No Indian. Nobody could live in Kaintuck. But if there was an exceptionally bad Indian, especially then when the white men began to come and pull tricks and atrocities, etc., if somebody's really bad, they would take them to Kaintuck. And they'd find a large tree, and they'd make an incision in their lower belly. They'd pull out the end of their intestines. They would nail it to the tree, and then they would make them start walking around the tree, pulling their guts out until it was over. And I said, if you think I'm enjoying this, I'm here to tell you, I feel like I'm on my sixth lap around the tree and it's pulling my guts out. And it's killing me. Because it's 35 years of my life. But for me to stay, there's a part of me I would have to kill that you taught me that I would have in order to stay. And I'd rather face this death than that. Another call came. I'm not, I hope I'm not being ugly. I mean it. Somebody called me whom I love dearly from back east. And, we, and I said, can I ask you a question? I said, is there a line that could be crossed that you would feel you had to make an exit. And they said, yes, there is. And I said, what, what, what is that? What is that line? I said, if they ever tamper with the new birth message, I'm gone. I said, that's what it would take if they messed with the Acts 238 new birth message. Yes. So what that means is like out of the book of Romans, you could, you'd, you could, you'd have to pay close attention to chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, and then chapter 6, 3, and 4. Uh, but the rest is pretty expendable. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3, really you've got to keep, but the rest of Corinthians is pretty expendable. Galatians 1, 6 through 12, Ephesians 4, 5. You have to pay close attention to that, but the rest of that is really just... He said, that's not what I'm saying. I said, what are you saying? I don't know that any of it's expendable. Okay? Brothers and sisters, there has to be something in us. We're talking about truth. We're talking about things worth dying for. I have a dear friend of mine I love very much. I'm not going to call his name, but many of you heard him say this. And so, but he's highly loved, respected, revered, close friends with many here. Who years ago had a radio program come out every Saturday. On this one certain Saturday, but he did it often. He was preaching about the new birth message and baptism in Jesus' name. And the reason that it's done in the name of Jesus because Jesus is the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And, and that there is not a triune Godhead. There is 
but one God. And in Jesus Christ dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you're complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. The invisible God became visible. And so he, he preached that. And uh, on Monday, uh, his secretary called and said there was a call into the office and a, 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 a Mr. So-and-so was called and would like for you to call him and said it was pretty important and he wants to eat breakfast with you. And so he said he was with so-and-so and he said, well, check, check it out. Call him back. I will. Bottom line, the man is long since gone. This is many years ago. He was an elderly man at that time. He was one of the world's, he was America's foremost theologian involved in the ecumenical movement in the world. And so our friend sat down across the breakfast table. They chit-chatted a little bit and talked and ate breakfast. He said, I listened to your program Saturday morning very closely. And he put his knife and fork down. He looked across the table. He said, I would like to ask you something. Do you believe everything that you preached on the radio Saturday? He said, yes, sir, I do. That's why I preached it. He said, you really believe that? He said, yes. He said, are you willing to die for your beliefs? said the question took him by surprise and he said well yes yes I believe I am if I have to I would die for it and the gentleman said well that's good because before it's over you may have to die for your beliefs I don't know what's coming and when and where I vote for the rapture tonight there better be something that gets way down deep in us that says this truth is not expendable. This is not, there's not a comfort zone for this. And I'm sorry, but I'm seeing too many people play with the truth nowadays. They're playing with the truth. They're playing fast and loose with the truth. Can I tell you, let God be true and every man a liar. If our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost. I'm sorry. I'm closer to being done than what you think. I really am. This is not matters of semantics. It's far, far deeper than that. If you don't believe that, ask a man who died in 1551 named Michael Servetus. It's pretty interesting that the most rare, monetarily valuable manuscripts on the face of the earth are manuscripts written by Michael Servetus in which he declares, God is not a trinity. There is but one God, and his name is Jesus. And the invisible God became flesh and dwelt among us. And so when Calvin and company burned him at the stake, they wrapped his body with his writings and burned him with green wood so he'd die slowly and painfully as possible. This is history. And as the flames were engulfing him, they gave him an option. 
All he had to say was, Jesus, thou God the Son, have mercy. And they would extinguish the flames. And he knew God became flesh. He took on sonship. The term God the Son is nowhere in scriptures. He's the Son of God. And while he burned to death slowly, he would say, Jesus, thou Son of God, have mercy on me. It's not semantics. It's the real deal. Oliver Foss got the revelation of the oneness of God baptism in Jesus' name at Elton Bible Conference. They prayed and fasted for three days as they started that conference. He got the revelation, baptized, got the Holy Ghost. Anyway, he went home to his mother. She was a different denomination. And so one night he came home and she had 12 preachers there. And they were all going to straighten this guy out on baptism in Jesus' name and this one God message. And he said he was young, he was green. He, he said, by the time they got done with him, he didn't know if there's one God or 12. But he said he went. his bed and he opened up his Bible to Acts 2.38 then Peter said unto them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises and he said Jesus right now I don't know come from second I don't know if there's one or twelve but until you take that out of the Bible I'm going to preach it and he never quit preaching it and he baptized his mother and his entire family and they all got in church Brother Jerry Green, are you here tonight? I know he was coming, but I don't know if the heard he's here. Stand up, Brother Green. My dear friend, I love you. I'm glad your home and church are okay. I know the people in your congregation have been hurting. But Brother Green told me something. He goes way back. He said, Brother Booker, I was a young preacher. I preached a fellowship meeting. I believe it was somewhere down in Louisiana. And he said, he said, actually, he was the first preacher. And then the main speaker got up. And he said, he went. And, and, and he sat down. And he was sitting next to an elderly black preacher. And the black preacher was blind. And he heard him worshiping and he he said, are you, are you the young man that just preached? He said, yes, sir, I am. He said, I'm going to tell you why I'm blind. I want you to listen to me closely. He said, yes, sir. He said, I was a young man. And I was asked to preach at a congregation that did not believe 
this Acts 2.38 message. And God was dealing with me to preach it. And I didn't do it. And he said, I woke up the next morning and I couldn't see. And he said, I've been blind since that morning. And God, I can't see. And he said, son, listen to me. The Lord God spoke to me and said, you left those people in blindness. Now I will leave you in blindness. If our gospel be hid. And you could say, but they're good people. They were going to church. They, they were walking in light that they had. God said, no, 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 no. No, no. You didn't show them my light, so now you don't see. I was talking to Brother Mervyn Miller. In fact, he told this to our church. Young Irishman. And uh, got the truth. Northern Ireland. And then he came to the United States. Anyway, he went back years later to start a church in London. Little Irishman and Long story short, he ended up, he went to go see about buying a car at a, at a, uh, Assembly of God Bible College and the car was rusted up and bad weeds and he couldn't. So anyway, the student said, well, let me take you to the dean and took him to the dean and this was years ago and, and then the dean was a big guy, Welshman, he'd been a coal miner, strong. And so, so you're Pentecostal, yes. And then, and, and, and the, you're Pentecostal, yes. And told him the name of the organization, yes. And, and the Pentecostal, speaking in tongues, yes, yes, yes. Finally he said, well, what, what's, what's the difference between us? And Brother Miller said, well, probably the biggest difference at first sight would be that we baptize in Jesus' name instead of titles, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. He said, the man stood up. The writer Donald Gee, G-E-E, Donald G. He said, Brother G warned us that you were coming. Get out of my office now. Well, by that time, the dean's wife was in there. He said, do what? He said, get out of my office. But sir, I've got scripture for why I did. Bottom line, Brother Miller's about this. He said, he picked me up and physically threw me out the door. He said, but it made me mad. And he said, before the door shut, he says, I put my little foot in the door. And he says, I kicked it back open. And he said, I come storming back in there. He said, this little Irishman was hot. And he said, the Holy Ghost came on me. And he said, for the next 10 minutes, every one God scripture that had ever been pumped into my heart, I preached to that man and poured out like a machine gun. And said... He just stood there. He, he was like the deer in the headlights, and he just stood there. Finally, his, his wife came to him and said, Sir, sir, maybe, maybe you should go ahead and go. So, and so then some students came by from the Bible college a few days later, knocked on the door and said, Is it true the dean threw you out? Yes. Physically. Very. 
over what I believe. What do you believe? And he told him, and they said, that don't sound crazy to us. Then a few days later, he gets a phone call from a pastor in Wales. And he said, is it true that the dean so-and-so threw you out? Yes. Why? Over my doctrine. He said, we're having a meeting two weeks. It starts on a Wednesday night. There'll be 65 to 70 preachers there. You will be preaching Wednesday night, first speaker. They were all Pentecostal. But they did not baptize in Jesus' name. Nor were they of the oneness persuasion. He said, he told us, got up. He said, and I preached a wonderful little generic message where I covered everything and I said nothing. And he said, when I got done, the Holy Ghost moved in. And a woman stood and gave a powerful message in tongues. And he said, you could feel it. And it was dead silence. And then over here came the interpretation. And the interpretation was, I have this night sent my servant into your midst to declare unto you my truth. But my servant did not obey me tonight. Now how do you suppose he felt? And he said, so how do you suppose I felt? And he said, the pastor of the church came up. He took me by the arm. He said, you will be preaching at 12 noon again tomorrow. He said, yes, sir, I will. And he said, so what do you suppose this little Irishman preached on that day? And he said, out of that message, 17 churches became one God, Jesus name, apostolic churches. Can I tell you it's a beautiful gospel? I'm closer than you think, I promise. So I'm baptized. I've got the Holy Ghost. I've evangelized. I've pastored my first church. Now I'm pastoring on the central coast of California in a beautiful city and church called Arroyo Grande. I remember this night. I'll never forget it as long as I live. I was in the auditorium. They've remodeled the platform. But I can take you to the spot. And I was kneeling and there was two very um, not totally lit lights on the platform. Dim. And I was praying. I was kneeling at the altar. And he said, I said, while I was praying, I began to feel Jesus stronger, 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 stronger. He's coming into that auditorium so strong and stronger yet and stronger still. Until now, it's overwhelming. I'm as serious as I can be. I became scared. It was so strong. I'm understanding Daniel and John falling on their face. I'm not seeing anything, but it's that kind of... And then I could feel him begin 
to back away because I guess he could feel my fear. And I said, Jesus, I'm overwhelmed. I am frightened, but please don't leave. And I felt him step forward and come closer. You don't have to believe me, but I promise you this happened. For the next 30 minutes, everything I asked him, he answered me immediately. And the first thing I asked him, I said, Jesus, I know this truth. I know I've been taught right. But you're here. I want you to tell me what you want me to say about those or to those that are religious that are not in this Jesus name apostolic way I want you please right now to tell me what you want me to tell him and he spoke to me Romans 10 1, 2 and 3 I didn't even know what it said but my Bible was right there and I, I opened it and it fell directly to it brethren My heart's desire, Romans 10, 1, 2, 3. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel and take out the word Israel and put in any name you want to put is that they might be saved. I don't want to see anybody lost. Paul didn't want to see Israel lost. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge for being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. I had never seen that like that before in my life. And I had my answer. And I'd never, it's not that I'd ever waffled, but it was just that moment, that time. So then, a few months went by. There was a young lady, she was in her early 20s. We baptized her in Jesus' name. She received the Holy Ghost. She'd been raised in a pastor's home. Mom and dad pastored a denominal church. She'd been in church about two years or so, somewhere in that neighborhood. She asked if she could speak to me and I said, yes. I said, let's just talk now. And we were on the platform. She was a good young lady. She tried to talk, but she started sobbing. She would catch herself. And she started sobbing again. She said, Brother Booker, I know 
what you preach and teach is right. You don't have any idea how I have checked out all that you teach and preach. Especially in regards to salvation. I know that what we preach and teach is right. And then she lost it. She said, but I'm about to lose my mind over my mama and daddy because I try to talk to them and they won't hear me. And she said, I've watched them as I grew up as a little girl. I've heard them pray. I've seen people in the church mistreat them. I've seen them been hurt denominationally. and But I've heard them pray and, and get victory and be sweet when I was dying for them. And now I'm in this and I know what you're preaching is true. But the thought of my mom and daddy... Being lost, I'm about to lose my mind. So I walked her through Romans 10, 1, 2, and 3. I bear them record they have a zeal, not according to knowledge. And being ignorant, they have went about to establish. She said, I know, but I'm dying. And then the Lord impressed me again. Next slide. Next, right there. Can you pull that up here on this screen? Is that possible? Right here for these brethren. Okay, do it again. It's not here. If we don't get it, we won't get it. All right, everybody look. I got a piece of paper and a pen and I started making dots all over this paper. I said, you see all these dots? She said, yes. I said, every one of these dots. I said, you see those dots? She said, yes. I said, those dots represents souls. And I said, God only knows how many souls have been in this earth. I'm just, this is just, these are dots. These are souls. You see them? She said, yes. Then I drew a circle. Next. I said, you see those dots within the circle? She said, yes. I said, you see those dots without the circle? She said, yes. I said, Those within the circle got there by obeying the gospel. Those without the circle have not yet gone into the circle. Next. I said in Acts 2, there were devout Jews in Jerusalem. They were devout. They were there for the day of Pentecost. And I said they were gathered together because they heard people speaking in other tongues in an upper room and they saw them and said, these men are drunk. And Peter got up and said, they're not drunk like you think. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. You will mention dream dreams. Amen. You will mention, I see visions. And, and he goes on and he preaches the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, and with wicked hands you crucified him, which God hath made both Lord and Christ. 
when they heard this, they were pricked, they were stabbed in their hearts. And they said unto Peter and the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Next. And they got in the circle. That's how, and they repented. Amen. They got baptized. And that day there's 3,000 added to the church. They were without, but now they're within. You got that? She said, yes. And then I, I drew another one. I said, now in Acts 19, Paul found certain disciples. He said, now, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, well, you ain't even heard there even be a Holy Ghost. He said, under what then were you baptized? They said, under John's baptism. He said, well, John, verily baptized with baptism of repentance, saying you should believe on him which should come after, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. He laid hands on them, and they spake with tongues. And the number of them was about 12. So what happened next? They were without. Now they're within. They got in through repentance, baptism, Holy Ghost. Okay, next. In Acts 8, Philip went down to Samaria and he preached unto them Christ. Verse 12, and now they'd repented, they burned up all their wicked works. And, and verse 12, they were baptized in Jesus' name. Verse 16, we see again they were baptized in Jesus' name. The apostles, John and Simon Peter, came down and laid hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And so, the next. Now they are not without, now they're within. They got in, Sharon, just like you. She said, yes. Then I took her next to Acts 10. This is a man named Cornelius. Everybody listen close. He was such a good man and so prayerful. His prayers built a memorial in heaven. An angel came and said, go get a guy named Simon Peter. He's got something to tell you. Okay. Simon Peter comes. He's got six Jews with him. They don't want to be in the house of these Gentiles. Peter begins to preach to them death, burial, and resurrection. While he yet spake the word, the Holy Ghost fell on them, which heard the word. And they all were filled with the Holy Ghost, just like they were on the day of Pentecost. And they're speaking into Yeah, They got it just like that. And so Peter looks to those Jews, he said, anybody here big enough and bad enough to forbid me to baptize these people in Jesus' name that got the Holy Ghost like you? And he baptized them, commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. So that's how they got in. I said, you see all these dots? Yes. You see how everybody got within? Yes. That's the gospel. That's what we preach. Folks, what is our job? Our job is to get people within. Our job is not to water down the truth. Our job is to preach the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. Our job is to preach. Their job is to repent. Our job is to baptize them. Then they're to yield as we pray them through to the Holy Ghost. That's our job. Our job is to preach the gospel. Everybody say it. Our 
job is to our job is to our job is to and if our gospel be hid it's hid to them that are lost I'm sorry don't fall into the trap of the light doctrine it does no good for nobody to be saved it makes somebody feel good about their grandmother you can't do that if our gospel's hid it's hid to them that are lost if we preach any other gospel let's all stand I said now girl listen close this is how you are going to keep your sanity. You're not going to keep your sanity by changing the gospel. You keep preaching the gospel. This is how you keep your sanity. Next. 1 Corinthians 5, 12 and 13. For what am I to do to judge them also that are without? Them that are without, God judgeth. job is to get them within. Our job is to get them within. God's job is to judge them. But we don't change this gospel for nobody. They're all in God's hands. This is how we preach because this is the gospel of salvation. We gotta be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, while we're standing, we're gonna one more. Revelation 18:3. Don't go out there yet. I'm no expert on eschatology. I do better in Acts. To me. I'm about to read to you what is to me the most important verse in all of the book of Revelation. To me. However you divvy it up, the 18th chapter is a ways down in the book. However you divvy where we're at tonight, we're a ways down in prophecy being fulfilled right now. This is the most important verse in Revelation to me. Next. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. That you be not partaker of her sins, you receive not of her plagues. Can I tell you the end time message that we preach? And it's, come out of her, my people. Come out of the mother of harlots. Come out of her daughters. Amen. Come into this one God, Jesus name, apostolic way. I believe we're on the precipice of the greatest revival the world has ever known. And we're not going to have it if we water down this gospel. We're going to have it by preaching this truth and no other. Come out. Come out. Come out. And get with him. And I'm fixing to prove it right now. Every arm lowered. Listen closely. I'm, st- I'm done. I want everybody 
in this house tonight. And if you're listening on the Holy Ghost radio, think with me as well. If before you came into this one God, Jesus name, apostolic truth, you were involved, whatever degree, in another denominational church of some kind, and yet you came out of that. In fact, everybody be seated quickly. Be seated. But you came out of what you were involved in. You came out of her. And you came into this Jesus name way. Now stand. If that was your experience. If you had been in a denomination before. But now you came out. And you're in here now. Look around brothers and sisters. Look around. And if you don't believe this. You try it in your local church. And see how many people stand. Can I tell you something? He is bringing them out. To bring them in right now. Let's all stand. Brethren. I want to be part and parcel. Of the greatest revival. We've ever known and seen. And there are things happening. As you well know. And as we're already tasting, around this world, around this North American continent, where people are coming out, they're coming into this marvelous light. They're being whole congregations baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. That's not the time to water anything down. That's the time to get after it with all your heart and soul and mind. And so, is there anybody here under the sound of my voice? There's something beating in your heart that says, God, I'm going without and I'm going to drag everybody in to this one God, Jesus name, apostolic truth that I possibly can. I'm going to preach this. I'm going to love this. I'm going to live this. I'm going to reach my city. I'm going to reach my community. I'm going to do my best to reach my world. And if that's beating in your heart tonight and you just want to show God, God, count me in like I ain't never been counted in before step out where you are and come on down pastor, pastor's wife, young man, young lady come on down amen and rededicate yourself God I'm going to be part of this like I ain't never been part I will give you all if all is what you God I'm going to reach into my God, I'm gonna bring this truth. And if my sacrifice is less than giving you my very best, help me remember. That's it, sir. That's it, man. Come on. God's in this house. He loves you and he loves souls tonight.